0: Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. We're glad that you are here. And this is our Sunday school hour for January 22nd, 2023. And we are in the book of Haggai. And we are looking at something that is uh, very important here. The difference between this particular generation, the remnant that returned after Babylon, as opposed to all of the people and the decade after decade after decade of rebellion and immorality and idolatry, that type of thing that was going on from the people before. And even after their warnings and their instructions, I mean, they couldn't even get 10 commandments right. And uh, they were mixing up this thing of of saying, well, a little bit of, of Yahweh and a little bit of Moloch or a little bit of Baal you know, it can't hurt. And uh, what's the big deal? And they completely ignored everything. And so as we know, they ended up with the temple being destroyed and uh, the brightest and best being taken to Babylon. Well, now Cyrus the Great has authorized them to return. So what are they going to do? And we would think that uh, they would be so grateful to God that the captivity was over. So glad to get back to the land of Israel. No longer is it a divided kingdom anymore uh, because there is no real kingdom in Israel or Judah. It's uh, the Persian king and the Persian empire at this point that is ruling over them. And uh, they come back and you can imagine what it must have been like. Consider this, and I know we've mentioned this before, but we don't want to forget. When they came back, they had expectations that it would be like before and maybe even better now with the blessing of God. But when they came back to the land, they found out that all of the people that were left there were um, old. Many of them had died during the exile. And so there were farms and vineyards and flocks and herds, Livestock, in other words, and um, nothing had been done. And so uh, they come back to their ancestral land and their ancestral farm. And can you imagine what it was like when it was all overgrown? Trees and pastures had had to be cleared off. Um, Crops hadn't been sowed or harvested in uh, decades, seven decades in some cases. And everything is overrun, and everything is deteriorated. It hadn't been kept up. It hadn't been maintained. And so that's what they come back for. And so in our last um, section of verses that we looked at, God said, you expected much. And then I suppose they did. And then they got back there, and they found out what it uh, really was like and all of the work that it was going to take to get their farm to get their flocks and their herds back into shape and it was just overwhelming to them. So I I think that's why we see that God was so patient in all of this because they laid the foundation of the temple as well they should have, but then they didn't do anything else for somewhere around 14 to 16 years. And so God now confronts them, and he doesn't confront them in anger, and he doesn't confront them in destruction or anything like that. But uh, he has, actually, we're going to see today, in the midst of all of this, he has a very encouraging word for his people. And um, I, I want us to see this because we've entitled this lesson, Walk by Faith, Not Feelings. Now, the reason we say that is, after they got back into the land and they laid the foundation of the temple, well, then you can imagine how overwhelmed that they actually felt. We've got to get back and we've got to get to work on our own houses. We've got to get to work on our own land. And as soon as we get this straightened out, as soon as we get a handle on it, then we'll be back and we'll finish the temple. Lord, just, just hang on and give us a little bit of time you remember um, the teachings about the Sabbath that Jesus talked to the Pharisees when they were so legalistic about everything. And he said, uh, which one of you, if your ox is in a ditch, would not, on the Sabbath, take the ox you know, out of the ditch? Well, of course, people would do that. They had to have that to make their living. And uh, that was very, very important to their income And I think that these people back in the book of Haggai might have said, uh, metaphorically of course, you know, uh, Lord, our ox is in a ditch, but we'll be back. Don't you worry. We'll be back to get this taken care of. But 16 years is a long, long time. And uh, this foundation has set and nothing has been done. They haven't cleared the rubble away from the old temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed that was called a mountain. Remember that? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. saith the Lord, this mountain shall be removed. And that's talking about the mountain of rubble that Zerubbabel was faced with as he stood there. How in the world are we going to do this? And God was giving him an encouraging word. You just get busy and obey. I'll supply the ability. I'll supply the power and we'll take care of that. And it makes me think of the old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And um, I think that hymn lays it out pretty well for us. Trust means we've got to have absolute faith in God, in His word, in His plan, in His purposes, in him. And then we've got to obey regardless of what we think or how we feel. And some of us are waiting for a motivation. I know I ought to do this, but <clears throat> I just don't really have the motivation to to do it yet. And uh, so, you know, that, that motivation may not come. And we may be 20 years from now still waiting. Yeah, I know I need to get to that. I just haven't felt led. I haven't felt moved, you know, to do anything like that. And the hymn says, your trust in God will lead you to obedience regardless of how you feel. And then it says, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey the feelings, the happiness, the joy, all of that comes last. And we get that so out of order. We want the feelings to come first and to motivate us. And it just doesn't happen that way. We know that from personal experience. You, uh, if, if you want to lose 50 pounds, you're never going to do it if you wait until you just really feel like doing it and you feel like not having ice cream for six months or something like that. Well, who feels like that? That's always kind of a chore. If you join the military and uh, you say, what I really want is to be in a ceremony where I'm given a chest full of medals and commendations and respected by everybody, and uh, yet, but I don't want to go to basic training, and I don't want to have to go to war or anything. Well, it doesn't happen that way. All of those things come in their proper order, and that's just the way life works. And so the remnant of Jews had laid the foundation. They've done nothing more. at 16 years. And now they have listened to Haggai, the prophet, and they started obeying. Good for them. And it reminds me of James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, And um, that's the kind of thing I think that we forget about, that there is a certain responsibility that we have. We don't ever want to do anything of our own initiative. We we realize that uh, we're told by the Lord himself, whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and he told us that flesh profits nothing. So we don't want anything that initiates out of flesh, granted. We don't want to do anything for selfish motives. We don't want to do anything for our own glory or anything like that at all. We understand that. But at the same time, we are commanded to do certain things. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Now this is written not to the lost because they can't and God has to come to them. But what about for believers? We can and we should. And we are commanded to seek the Lord. We're commanded to draw near to him. And James tells us that when we draw near to him, he draws near to us, that we have to cleanse our hands. We look at our lives, we look at our sin, and we get rid of it and we deal with it because we want the blessing of God. We have the presence of God in our lives. Therefore, we have the power of God in our lives. We know what to do. We just need to start doing it and quit making excuses and quit justifying our uh, disobedience uh, before the Lord. And so um, when we get to verse 12, we find here uh, back in the book of Haggai, verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, um, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So, notice that this happened, and it wasn't that God was saying to them, obey me whether you feel like it or not, but what he was saying to them is, obey me, and the motivation and everything will follow suit later on. I have never experienced a runner's high. I don't really like to run. Now, I've done that in the past, and pardon me, been a part of those kind of things before, but I never really liked it. But I have heard friends of mine saying, oh, but after you get going and you get running because of the endorphins that are released and all of that, you get the runner's high. Never, ever, ever experienced anything close to that. But for those that do that and train and love it, There are those times when they don't want to get out of bed any more than you do, yet they do because they know they need to. There are those times when maybe they uh, train a certain way, practice certain things. Maybe they do other exercises to strengthen themselves, and they eat a certain diet and drink certain things and abstain from other things so that they'll be at their best whenever they run. They don't always feel like doing that, but they know it's the best thing to do. And then as they get to running, they have the runner's high, so to speak. Now, can you imagine what if they only did what they felt like doing? That They would never win a race. What if our military only did what they felt like doing? We'd never win another war. And uh, this is the kind of thing that we have to learn and that we have to see even in the Christian life. The Lord is not anti-motivation. He's not anti you having joy and, and all of that. I mean, he stirred up their spirits, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But you'll notice that they obeyed first, and that's our first point really here. Obedience is the first step. Obedience is the first step. We're told, for example, that we are to give thanks in everything, And then it says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, what does that mean? It means that we walk around going, oh, I wish I knew the will of God. I wish I knew the will of God. Well, you do. And the will of God is for you to give thanks in all things. Well, I don't feel like being thankful. He didn't say anything about how you felt. He just said, this is the will of God, and we all ought to be doing the will of God. He tells us in another place that we are to rejoice in the Lord always, and then he repeats it, and again, I say rejoice. He didn't say rejoice when you feel joyful. He says rejoice regardless of how you feel because you always ought to be grateful to God, and God is always deserving of your praise and for you to be grateful and to rejoice in Him. In other words, we need to learn to obey regardless of how we feel. The sincerity and the feelings will come later, but by faith, we've got to step out and just simply obey the Lord. And so you notice here that that's what they did. These people, and it names some of them, and then it says all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Now, God didn't ask them how they felt about it. He didn't ask for their opinion. The Christian life is not a democracy. It's a monarchy. We have a king, and we do what the king says. And they were simply to obey. Uh, Chelsea and Jeremy, in particular, uh, have done a thing with their little kids when they start kind of whining or something, and they'll say, what is your job? And then they'll say, to obey. Okay. And that's the truth. And so that kind of gets them in order. You just do what I tell you to do. Well, what's our job as believers? It's simply to obey, to trust the Lord and to obey him as the hymn says. And so they laid the foundation and then they quit. And I doubt that on the time where they quit, that they said, we'll see you in 16 years. Nobody wanted that. They said it would be just for a short time, just till we get our own house in order, just till we get some things fixed up, squared away. I mean, we've got to live as well. And then it turned into a longer period of time, and God confronts them at the point of their disobedience. They should have had enough faith to simply do what God had told them to do, knowing that he would take care of them and their families and all of their needs if they would just trust and obey him that's the lesson we have to learn we're so busy worrying about things that the lord has promised to take care of he's promised to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory but we worry about those things we think we have to take care of them and we neglect the work of the lord and we need to get our priorities in order like they did number two Not only uh, is obedience important, but notice here, the message of the prophet, which would be scripture, that's what uh, was written down for us, is considered the voice of God. And it says, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. We forget sometimes that when we read the Bible, that is the voice of God. That's the inerrant infallible all-sufficient eternal voice of god somebody said one time if you want to hear god speak uh, if you want to hear god speak read the bible if you want to hear him speak audibly then read it aloud and that's kind of funny but it is true we've got to understand the bible is not a self-help book the bible is (coughs) an instruction book of what god's will is when you read it in the word you know automatically what the will of God is, properly understood and interpreted granted. But we've got to also approach the Bible with the idea of, Lord, what would you have me do? How would you have me to think? How am I to live? And then we obey the word of God. Now, if we wait until the feeling hits us, you know, the old song that says, and I just can't fight this feeling anymore. Well, we're not living like that, are we? We live by an allegiance to the Lord that says, I trust you because you are God and you are good all the time. And you love me and you're merciful to me and I'm grateful to you. And I'm going to obey what you say because I don't have the mind or the capacity to compete with you. I don't understand the end from the beginning. I don't control all things. I don't, I don't get it but I can always trust the Lord. And so we don't always love the Lord as we should, but we should always obey him regardless of what we think or how we feel or even what society is doing or what anyone else is doing. And we're so heavily influenced by everything but the Lord. Now, this was their commitment. When Haggai spoke, he was sent from the Lord. And so they consider that the voice of the Lord. Now, when we take that in a New Testament sense, it's not that I say, I am the preacher and you've got to obey me. I'm the voice of God, because nowhere in the Bible does it say that about a pastor of a church, for example. My job is to teach and expound on the word of God, so that we can feed together on it, so that we can understand it, get the sense of it, get the meaning of it, so that we can answer the question, how should we then live? And that way we can all be together doing what we are supposed to do. I have to do it. You have to do it. We all are constrained by the word of the Lord. But there are so many people today that think that their feelings, their intuition, or some voice that they hear is so much better than the Word of God, and you've got it completely backward. In fact, you're open for deception. Just about every cult has extra biblical revelation. An angel, a spirit, some type of feeling, the voice, whatever would come, and it leads them astray. And uh, so often in that, it has actually the voice has the hiss of the serpent, if you'll listen carefully. So understand that you've got to obey and you've got to obey. Point number two would be according to the scripture and uh, what it says. Number three, God is honored above the government, the priest, or even the prophet. See, we make a big deal about people. Boy, if if somebody is a president, a senator, a congressman, if they're a governor, if they're a mayor, if they're a part of the city council, if they're a business person, if they're an inventor, (coughs) we say, oh, a movie star or an athlete. Think about what all we do. And we say, oh, boy, if they say it and if they believe it, man, then it must be true. And there are so many times when Christians will look at something from the Word of God and say, well, I kind of think I ought to be doing this with my family, but, well, I don't know. Nobody else is doing it. And then a celebrity comes out, and they do it, and then we go, yeah, that's what I need to do, just like what they say. And there are some people that kind of have the idea that whoever's preaching... Well, you know, one thing, that's just reading the Bible, but boy, this guy, when he says it, now we know it's really true. Or what about these people that have supposedly taken trips to heaven and then they come back and tell us something about it? Well, now we know it's for real. I didn't need anybody to go to heaven and come back for me to know it's real. I have the Bible. I have the Word of God, and the Word of God is far more trustworthy than anybody else and what they might think or what they might feel or what they might say. That again always opens us up for deception. So as much as they considered uh, Haggai's words to be important and to be from God, you'll notice here, and this is uh, point number three, right? God is honored. We, We really don't have to say anything else, do we? And far too often we put people on a pedestal. We put people in front of God. And we don't really obey what God says in his word. We follow the leader. We follow what people say. And we follow what people do. And uh, God is honored, notice this, above the government, (coughs) above the priest, and even above the prophet. Now, Haggai may speak for God, but he is not God. Joshua may be the high priest, but he's not God. Zerubbabel may be the political leader of the remnant, but he's not God. And we must never, ever replace God with anything else. Notice the people feared the presence of the Lord. That means they took him seriously and they honored his will and they actually changed their priorities. And I think we could make a case that they were probably afraid not to. I mean, they don't, have, they don't want to be invaded again. They don't want to be in exile again. They don't want to be in trouble again like the previous generations were. They wanted to get it right. Matthew 6, and 34 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And that's where they were getting it wrong. They thought they had to take care of business first, and then they would get to God's house whenever they could and you know tomorrow just never seems to come and it's been 16 years and so the Lord says in Matthew 6:34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day is its own trouble And we're constantly borrowing trouble, aren't we? And you can imagine these people were saying, when are we going to get back to building the temple? As soon as this crop comes in, because if this crop doesn't come in, we are sunk. And as soon as we uh, get these lambs born, because if we don't get more in the flock, we are sunk. We don't have food, we don't have income and all of that. So we're going to get to it, but after we get these other things done... And that's what Jesus' point was. The first priority in our life has got to be the kingdom of God. doesn't mean you don't take care of your own family. The apostle Paul told us that if a man will not provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. And of course, he's talking there to believers, members of the church. And he said, take care of your family. And so what has to happen is you do have to go to work. You do have to earn a living. You do have to buy groceries. You do have to prepare meals. You do have to clothe and educate your children. But you do it all in the power of the Lord and for the glory of the Lord is first and foremost on your mind. And we are so quick to move God's will, God's ways, God's kingdom kind of down the ladder. But whatever you do, Paul even said it like this, whatever you do whether you eat or drink, the most mundane basic things of life, <coughs> pardon me, do all to the glory of God. <coughs> and that's where they missed it. And being honest, that's where we miss it too. I think you might be surprised if you could see what God sees. About how many people come to church and they don't give the glory of God a thought. Now, they like some of the songs and they may like the message and they may like the fellowship, but the Bible says we're to do all to the glory of God. It's easy to come to church and participate in a worship service and not really glorify God. And it's possible to do everything God commands you to do as a wife, as a husband as a parent, as a citizen, as an employee somewhere, and yet not really do it for the glory of God. Can I remind you the definition of sin? For all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us, as one person said when they prayed, Lord, forgive us of our falling shorts. All of us have falling shorts, don't we? And we ought to be embarrassed by it. Because here we are, the redeemed of the Lord, saved by the grace of God and by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and yet it's so easy to get distracted from what really matters, which is the glory of God. And so God was not telling these people, don't take care of your homes, don't take care of your farm, don't take care of your herds and your flocks, don't take care of your family. He was just simply saying, put the priorities in order and glorify me and honor me and that would uh, certainly include rebuilding the temple which brings us to point number four in spite of all of that this is so encouraging in spite of all of that the lord's message was this i am with you how do i get my life in order how do i keep things prioritized How do I be everything that I'm supposed to be and do everything that I'm supposed to do? And here it is, in the power of the Lord. The Lord will never give you more than he empowers you to do. He's not going to say, well, here's what I demand, and I want you to run five miles for my glory, but I'm only going to give you the strength for two. He just doesn't do that. He gives you the power to do whatever he commands you to do. And so the Lord wanted the people to know, I am with you. And then in verse 14, he did something. After they started obeying him, he gives them the encouraging word. And then he gives them the feelings that back all this up. He stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, he, uh, the governor. And he stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest. And he not only did it for the big shots, he did it for everybody, the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And then it tells us when they started doing that. And so the Lord is affirming their obedience. He will always bless obedience, always. And his presence always includes his power. The Lord said, I am with you. And what that meant was not only is my presence with you, but my very power is with you. And then he proved it by stirring them up and reforming them. And uh, he does a work in the life of Zerubbabel. That's politics, the governor in religion. That's Joshua, the high priest. And he stirred up their spirit. He motivated them and nothing and no one is beyond his sovereignty. And if you and I would just be yielded to the Lord, we would be amazed what would happen, what we could do in the strength of the Lord if it is for his glory. But if it's not for his glory and it's done in the works of the flesh, I'll remind you again, Jesus said the flesh profits nothing. Why should God bless it if the worship service is simply for us? What if it's simply just a self-help type thing? What if it's simply to be around friends and to be affirmed and encouraged? (coughs) Why should he bless that? But if we turn it around and we say, this is for you, this is for your glory. I go to work for your glory. I provide for my family for your glory. I educate my children for your glory. I clothe them and feed them for your glory. I give my money and help other people for your glory. Now we're starting to see something happen, and we've got to obey him and obey him as a priority. So when the scripture commands something, it is automatically the will of God for you. Don't wait for a feeling. Obey even if you don't feel like it, and the feelings are like the caboose on a train. The caboose never leads, doesn't have the power. It always follows. And your feelings should never lead. But I'll tell you something. If you start doing what God wants you to do, and you start doing it for his glory, he will strengthen you. He will bless you. And you know what? The feelings will follow. And there have been times all of my life that I've heard people say, well, I went over to see brother or sister so and so and i went over there because i thought i would cheer them up and you know what happened by the time we got through they cheered me up isn't that the way it always works and i think that's part of what jesus meant when he said give and it will be given unto you i don't think that i think it includes money but i don't think it only includes money you give time to someone else for the glory of god to bless their lives and then you notice I've been really productive this week. I wonder how that happened. I don't have any more uh, hours in the day or days in the week, yet I got more done. Why is that? Because you invested and you gave to somebody else. Why is it that it seems like when you invest in the Lord's work, your money seems to go further, right? Uh, Why is it that it seems like when we give time to the Lord and we read his word, It seems like the whole day is just more efficient because God is working, God is empowering, God is honoring and drawing near to us, as we saw, and he is stirring up our spirit so that the blessing of God is that we're able to get more done than is humanly possible. You see, it's impossible for five loaves and two fishes to feed 5,000 men plus women and children except when God blesses something, it can do more than is humanly possible. And this is what's happening. This is just a small remnant of people. How are we going to do that? Well, little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. And that's what we're talking about here that these people did that. And we can do it too. And God will do these same things through us if we'll do it out of obedience, if we'll do it in his strength and power, and if we'll do it for his glory, he'll make sure that there's plenty of strength and motivation and whatever else is needed. And that's the way we ought to live. And I challenge you, Sunday school teachers, Live like this and take this and apply it to your teaching, apply it to your class, apply it to your ministry. And church family, let's apply this to everything we do, even our gatherings for the glory of God and to obey the great commission that he has given us. Not wait till we feel like it, but just simply obey and to do what we know is right. And God will supply everything else that is needed. Well, I hope that encourages you. Life can be hard and discouraging, but the Lord says, I am with you. And that means we have everything that we need. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience as I've been teaching this. I hope it has fed you and blessed you. And may the Lord bless you, teachers. And may the Lord bless those of you who watch this just to keep up with your class in a very special way. That's a good thing to do. And so, until next week, may the Lord bless you and bless you richly.